Let's go ahead this morning and open our Bibles to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be in two verses this morning, verses 1 and 2. Here we are called to walk in a way that imitates God. And Paul's emphasis here is to walk in the love of God, which means simply this. Being in Christ not only has its privileges, it has its responsibilities. Being in Christ, being born again, being a Christian, being a follower of Christ, not only has its privileges as spelled out in chapters 1, 2, and 3, but also has its responsibilities, which Paul began to unfold for us in chapter 4, verse 1. So far in our journey through this book, particularly in chapter 4 and following, the responsibilities include walking in unity. It takes effort. It takes work. It takes diligence. God creates our unity. Christ is the creator of our unity. Our responsibility is to maintain that which Christ has already accomplished, which he's already done. We're also called later on in chapter 4 to walk differently than the world around us. It doesn't mean we are holier than thou. That's not it whatsoever. But we are. But when God places us in Christ, when you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it means he becomes your Lord. It means you're hungry for his word and his ways. So we simply, as God's children, want to learn what our Heavenly Father wants of us. And now being in Christ, one of those responsibilities is that we begin to walk differently, or that word actually means live or conduct our lives differently than the unbelieving world around us. It's safe to say, I think, the beginning in chapter 4, verse 1, the whole tone or the emphasis of Paul's letter here, of Ephesians, has changed. In chapter 1 through 3, for example, he's in a teaching mode. He's teaching. Matter of fact, in chapter 1, verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, that is the church, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And Paul will go on for the next couple of chapters explaining how blessed we are, telling us our privileges that we have in Christ. It's chapters 1 2 and 3. So he's in teaching mode in those chapters. And then starting in chapter 4, verse 1, he, he gets in an exhortation mode. He goes from doctrine to practice. Okay? As a matter of fact, I kind of uh, look at it like this. He gets in father mode himself, the Apostle Paul. He begins to exhort and encourage us as, as a father would his own children to begin to walk or live by those truths that have been spelled out in chapters 1, 2, and 3. And he begins with unity. Walk or live in unity with one another. And then he says, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. No longer walk as the Gentiles around you, as the unbelieving world around you. Begin to be different. Begin to be different as followers of Christ. And that difference means you put off the old ways and replace them with new, as we discussed last couple of weeks. And this morning, we come to chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, walk in love. Let's stand together and just simply read these two verses together, and then we will pray and ask for God's blessing. Chapter 5 of Ephesians, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you. And gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Heavenly Father, may you write these verses on our hearts this morning. Etch them not only in our minds, 
put them in our hearts so that we just don't want to know what the Bible says. We want to do what it says. We want to walk in loving, humble obedience because you've already taken care of us. Heaven is our home. We're on a journey there. And along that journey, dear God, we want our walk to be pleasing to you. We want our lives to be a fragrant aroma to you, so to speak. Well, pleasing to you. And God, we know that the hallmark attribute that you want us to imitate is your love. And so God, give me the grace to explain. Help us in our searching of the scriptures. And as we do that, we ask that your spirit would write these wonderful words of life on our hearts. So that when we walk out this morning, when we depart, we have a hunger and a thirst to do what it says. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Our first two verses, God commands us to walk in love. Now, it's easy to gloss over these two verses. We've been you know, dealing a lot with how we're to be different in this world. And all of a sudden, we come across verse 1 and 2 about imitating a God, and particularly His love. And I want to explain that for a few minutes and then go from there. And so, it's easy just to gloss over. It's easy just to treat it as, oh, this is just an afterthought of Paul. But we know it's not for this reason. Look at the first word in verse 1. It says, therefore. Therefore. Which refers back to what he just wrote in chapter 4. Particularly, verses 25 through 32, he has in mind. So when he says, therefore, be imitators of God, he has in mind what he just previously wrote about. And particularly... Most importantly, look at verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Think about those, those actions right there in verse 32. If you want to be like God, if you want to follow Christ, if you want to be conformed to the image of your Savior, look at verse 32. What does it look like in real life? You'll be kind to others. You'll be tenderhearted. And when someone burns you, you'll forgive them. Just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Like father, like son. That's the, that's the concept. That's the idea right here in these two verses. So therefore connects verses 25 through 32 with imitating God. Now the word imitate means to mimic. You're familiar with that. It means to mimic or to copy. Here it means to copy certain characteristics or attributes of another person. As Christians, we are to mimic God's character. The next phrase is very significant. Notice what it says, as beloved children, those who are loved of God. And that's why I just said a moment ago, like father, like son, like mother, like daughter. Paul reminds us again with this phrase, with these three words, as beloved children, as he did in chapter 1, verse 5, that we are adopted sons and daughters of God. We are his children, bought, purchased, with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. So it's a very intimate statement. As beloved children of God, we are to be like our Father. We're supposed to be like our Heavenly Father. We are to take on his actions and his behavior, even his words. Listen, look, look at chapter 4, verse 24. Let me just read it. And put on a new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. In other words, we are new creatures in Christ. As new creatures in Christ, we have a new nature, a new disposition that is created in the likeness of Jesus Christ. 
And that means we want to be like him. Now, before Christ, you weren't that way. You wanted to be like yourself. You were told to be the best you. But now that I've come to Christ, now that I understand God's perspective of me is that I am a sinner, and Christ is my Savior, I no longer want to be like myself. I want to be like Christ. He is the apple of God's eye. And to be saved is to be in Him. And that is what Paul is talking about here. So therefore, be imitators of God as his children. For example, be holy for he is holy, Peter tells us. Be kind as he is kind. As he is forgiving, we are to be forgiving. As he is merciful, we are to be merciful. Well, that person deserves my chastisement. I need to tell them what's on my mind. See, mercy withholds that. Even though you would be absolutely right and correct in doing so, mercy withholds it. James comes along later on and says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Instead of having a judgmental spirit towards that person because they did me wrong, and they did me wrong. No mistake about it. And even though I have every right to point that out to them, I choose to be like Christ and to be merciful. And not to run over them with my rights. That's being like Christ. We're to be humble as he is humble. However, in our verses this morning, our two verses this morning, he has one attribute in mind. It's love. Paul is thinking about love, and that's why he says, and walk in love. When he's writing verse 32 of chapter 4, he's thinking about the love of God. Because it's the love of God that's motivated the kindness, the tenderheartedness, and the forgiveness. And so, this is not an afterthought that Paul has. Oh, by the way, let's be like God's love. No, he's been writing about it. He's been writing about the love of God. Throughout this letter, beginning in chapter 1, he talks about it. That in love, he adopted us as children. He prays also in the end of chapter 3 that we would understand more fully the love that God has for us. How long have you been as a Christian? How long have you been a Christian? You've been for 5 years, 10 years, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. You have only tapped into how much God loves you. Because it's infinite. It's inexhaustible. But why do I want to understand more fully how much God loves me? Because it enables me to share that love with others. If you're not growing in the love of God, then you're not going to be very successful in loving others. And what I'm saying is this, it is a lifelong journey. I will never ever say in my Christian life, I've arrived. I've arrived. I understand fully what it means to, to be loved by God. No, I'm continually discovering it. Guess what, beloved? In God's eyes, it doesn't matter how old we are, we're always a child. Always a child to our Lord. He wants us to be mature children, but we're always children. So he's talking about in chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, walk in love. I want you to look at the word, the first word, New American Standard I'm reading from, it says, and walk in love. Take the word and there. It is not, it is not there to mean that connected and. It's not there in the sense of in addition to, but a continuation of the idea of mimicking, okay, of imitating. All right, so when he says, and walk in love, 
He's not saying in addition to imitating God, we also want you to love. He's saying this. I, when I'm talking about imitating God, I'm specifically talking about imitating the love of God. Okay? So take that connection that way, that connective word, and that way, in the sense of a continuance. Paul becoming more specific. Specifically, I'm talking about loving the way God loves. Imitate his love. And I can't believe that Ron read that this at a first John this morning. We never even talked about this. All I do is give him the sermon title and he knows the passage we're in. But I have written down 1 John 4, 7 through 11. So let me read this because John puts it a little bit different but says the same thing. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. So if love's from God, what's it for? To love one another. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. One who does not love does not know God. Why? For God is love. That's his characteristic. And so John, along with Paul, are very sure that if, if you really know God, you're going to exemplify and illustrate his love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. And to truly live means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what John means. Paul, that's what the writer means. To truly live is to be alive unto Christ. To truly live is to be in Christ, to be aware of the Creator. It's to be aware that God loves you and to see the ultimate demonstration of that love. According to Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's why he says in verse 10 again, and this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. Big word there, right? Propitiation simply means to satisfy. Jesus Christ satisfied his father's demand that our sin go punished. Okay, that's what the cross is all about. Christ was not hanging on that cross because of his sins. He never sinned. He hung on that cross bearing your sins, my sins. You see that? And that's why he says, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, satisfaction for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us in this way, I add, we also have to love one another. If God loved us that way, then how should his children act the same way? We also have to love one another. Well put, well put. What I want to do now is... I want to prioritize God's love in our lives using this passage. But I'm going to use other passages as well. Because when you understand Paul, when you read him over and over and over again, and read his letters over and over and over again, he's the primary author of the New Testament. When you read that, you can easily conclude that love is a priority for the Apostle Paul. Okay? Love is a priority for the Apostle Paul. In fact, according to Paul, it's the biggest way that we are to have an impact for Christ. I'm going to, I'm going to say there's no bigger way, not even the exercise of your spiritual giftedness. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I want to show you something here. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Here's If you want to have the greatest impact in the body of Christ, and have the greatest impact for Christ, we've got to get one thing down. There's nothing greater than exemplifying, showing, 
the love of God. It's even a, a greater over-the-top way of showing our love than spiritual gifts. Look at this. Chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Here, Paul illustrates how love is a more excellent way. Look at verse 31, the verse right before chapter 13. Let's look at this. And I show you a still more excellent way. That Greek word excellent means over the top. I want to show you a more over the top way to have an impact on the body of Christ, to have an impact for Christ more than spiritual gifts, which he's been writing about the whole chapter 12. There's a more excellent way. There's a more over the top way than you desiring and wanting the special gifts. Because that's his argument there. Actually, his argument is this. You go to chapter 12, verse 11. God distributes the gifts individually as he wills. And then verse 18, he, he placed the members in the body as he wills, as he desires. God is the distributor of gifts. He sovereignly bestows gifts. But here you had some of the Christians in the church there at Corinth wanting to, some of the speaking gifts, the more public gifts, because they felt they were more special. Miraculous gifts they wanted because they were more powerful. They get more notoriety because of those. Not the gift of helps or administration. People don't get to be, really get to see me use those. I want something greater and grander. I want to speak in tongues. I want to do all this stuff. I want to prophesy. I want those gifts that really mean something and that are more spectacular. That's what Paul's dealing with here in chapters 12, 13, and 14. And after chapter 12, he says the purpose for those gifts is to be a servant, not to get noticed, but to be a servant. He then says in verse 31, and I show you a more excellent way. And so we get to chapter 13, verses 1, 2, and 3, and he gives three illustrations. Each one is a hyperbole, an exaggeration, so to speak. Notice what he says. Illustration number one. If I speak with the tongues of men, that is speaking in a foreign language that I never studied, but I can speak it. It's as if I went to Germany and spoke German. I never studied German. It's a legitimate tongue. It's a legitimate language. And of angels even. Whoa! What, what, what about that language? It's not of this world. See the hyperbole there? See the exaggeration? Why is he, He's trying to prove a point. But he says this, but do not have a... I had this ability to communicate with anybody and everybody no matter where I go. It's extraordinary. I have this ability. But if I do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. I'm just a bunch of hot air. That would be a contemporary way of putting it. Second illustration, verse 2. If I had to give the prophecy and know all mysteries, uh-oh, knowledge. He says that is. And all knowledge. That simply means all-knowing. What if I was all-knowing? Man, what could I achieve knowing everything? But God, I can have a real great impact on your church, and I can really have a great impact for you, Jesus, if I know everything. Give me all the knowledge. Give me all the mysteries. Give me all that stuff. That's what Paul says, and if I have all faith even, he puts that into the mix. So I have to remove mountains, but do not have what? Love. I am nothing. You know what that word means? I'm a big zero. I have no effect. I will have no impact. Here's the point. You can have whatever gifts you want. You can have the special gifts, the miraculous gifts. But if you don't have love, 
It will not have an impact on anybody. It will not have an impact on the kingdom. It will not, you will not have an impact for the glory of Christ. Verse 3. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, if I am involved, if I have billions of dollars and I get involved in hundreds and hundreds of, of food banks and, and, and helping people eat and helping the poor, with verse 3, even if I'm martyred and surrender my body to be burned and do not have love, it profits me nothing. Nothing. Let me illustrate these three verses. I have a piece of paper here. I think I pretend I had a whiteboard up here. And I lined up all these zeros. Okay? Zero, 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 zero. And all these zeros represented all the good things I've done. They even represented all the times that I've exercised my spiritual gifts or prayed or preached or, or helped or whatever the gift may be. And so all these zeros together, that's what all that represents. But at the very end, I put equal. What are all those zeros adding up together equal? Still a big what? Zero. You put a one at the very beginning, which represents love. And all of a sudden, all those zeros mean something. That is Paul's point. I'm just using 1 Corinthians 13 to illustrate to us this morning that Paul prioritizes love beyond all else even the exercise of our spiritual gifts. Notice what he does in chapter 13, verse 13. The very last verse in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. But now faith, hope, love abide these three. But the greatest of these is what? Love. Why? Because love is an attribute of God. Not faith. Not hope. God is not in heaven wringing his hands saying, I'm trying to believe in human beings down there. No, Christ did not even entrust himself to humanity because of how sinful we are. God is not up there in heaven going, oh, I hope it works out my way. No, God's sovereign. It's going to work out his way. You see, hope and faith are not words that describe God's character, but love is. That's why love is eternal. It's an eternal characteristic of God. And that's why Paul comes along, and when he's writing his letter to the church in Ephesus, back to our main text in chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, we're backing up to verse 32, and he's talking about being tenderhearted and kind and forgiving. He's thinking about the attribute of God, his love. That's what we are to mimic. That's what we are to be like. Without this one characteristic, no matter what we do as a church, will matter to anything. I can think for a moment of all the characteristics that God that God has, all the attributes of God, there's really one that comes to the top over and over and over again in the New Testament that we are to emulate, and it is the love of God. So what if I exercise my spiritual gifts, but someone hurts me and I don't forgive them? What's more important to God? My forgiving them, because that is an act of love. That means more to him than my preaching. As important as that is. What if I preach and preach and preach and teach and teach and teach and do not love you? Soon there'll be no one in this room. Apply the love of God to all the spiritual gifts. That's why Paul brings again and says, without love, all these gifts are meaningless. They will not, you will not have an impact for the kingdom. You will not, you want to have the greatest impact, beloved? 
than love. Mimic, imitate the love of God in your relationships. It doesn't matter what kind of gift you have. What matters is that you love with those gifts. Let's go to the next point, and that is the example of his love. Back in verse 2 of chapter 5, our main text this morning, notice what he says. After he says, walk in love, the next phrase, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself. There we get an idea of the love of God right there, what, what, what God has in mind, what Paul has in mind when he talks about the love of God. It is the ultimate illustration. That's what he's using here. Christ is the ultimate illustration. There's no greater example than the Father giving of the Son, the Son going to the cross and suffering and taking on our sins. That's why Paul comes along in Romans 5, and says God demonstrated his love towards us because there is no greater demonstration than that while we were yet sinners, not good people, but while we were yet sinners, not from God's perspective, okay? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, Christ went ahead and died for us before we moved, but before we responded to him. He did that while I was dead in my trespasses and sins. He didn't say, well, I'll send my son one day when you wake up, Jim, or humanity, or whoever. Once you guys start getting your act together, then I'll send my son to die. No, this is an unconditional sacrificial love that Paul's talking about here. Not just seen in Christ, but to be seen in the church. That's why he says, just as, just as, Christ also loved you. If we want to walk in love, we have to examine, examine Christ and his love and his sacrifice. We've got to examine him. The giving of Christ is the epitome of God's over-the-top kind of love. Write that down. It's an over-the-top kind of love because it's over-the-top. There's nothing greater than that. He went to the nth degree. It's an infinity, eternal kind of love. And there's no greater evidence of God's love. He not only gave up himself, but think about what he did for a moment. As we meditate on this, he absorbed the full fury of the Father's wrath. He absorbed, otherwise, hanging on that cross. Love motivated him to get up there and to endure the full fury of the Father's wrath for you. He did not fight for his right to the throne. Well, wait a minute, God. I have every right to be up here with you now. Come on. Do I have to do this? No. But how often today are we told to what? Stand up for our rights. As children of God, God comes along and says, you need to be willing to give them up. To follow me. He did not cry out against the injustice. I should say, he did not cry out against the injustice that was happening to him. They were persecuting him. They made him suffer. He wasn't hanging there for his own sins. He's the sinless Savior. He was hanging there for our sins. This is, a, this is the greatest injustice of all of history. It's the persecution and the death of Christ. Talk about injustice. There's the epitome of injustice right there. And yet he did not cry out, wait a minute, foul, injustice. Why not? Because love for you drove him. Love for you enabled him to endure all that punishment. He didn't even complain about inequality. Now we hear these things all the time, don't we? But if anyone had a right to claim inequality or injustice, it would be Christ. 
but he did not. Why? Because he loved us so much. You see, beloved, that is the over-the-top kind of love that Paul is calling us to. That's why we are told to forgive. That's why we are told to be merciful and tender-hearted. When someone offends me, someone hurts me, instead of lashing back, instead of crying injustice, I should humbly approach that person and just love on them. And think in my own mind and my own soul, you know what, by the grace of God, there go I. You know what, I've blown it too. I have also sinned. And it might not, I might have not have ever sinned in the exact way that person has sinned, but I'm sure I have sinned in a way that they have never sinned. This is no more vividly explained than in Philippians chapter 2. This is just to illustrate the point once again with Scripture. I love this. Chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. What was Jesus doing on that cross? He was considering those he was dying for as more important than himself. If he didn't, he would have cried injustice, he would have cried inequality, and he would have fought. And praise God he didn't. Because it means our life. It means, it means we get to know God personally forever and ever. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others, those around you. Have this attitude, verse 5. It's an attitude. It's a loving attitude. In yourselves, which was also in Christ. In other words, he's the example. Imitate him, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality, there it is, with God a thing to be grasped, to hold on to. He let go of his equality with God. He let go of it. He didn't cry foul. Remember that. Verse 7, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made the likeness of men. You know what love does? It serves others. When we are truly loving one another, we are treating the other person as more important than myself. I am listening to their interests. I want to put them beyond and above myself. And if I need to empty myself, I will. But I am their servant. See, love says, I am your servant. That's what love says. How can we do this? Here's how. If you are in Christ, listen to this, please, get nothing else. If you are in Christ, you are eternally secure. If you are eternally secure, and heaven is your destiny, heaven is your home, and God is sovereign in control of your life, and you know when you die because of Christ, you're going to heaven. It absolutely frees you up to live for him. That's why Paul says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I am now freed up to live for my king, the one who secured me, the one who died for me, the one who gave his life for me. And I am secure in him. Therefore, I can live with reckless, abandoned love for others. Because I'm taken care of for all eternity. And if God's taking care of me, then I am free to love on others the way God want, wants me to love them, the way that God loved me in Christ. It's so freeing, isn't it? See, here's the thing. The sovereign love of God is absolutely freeing. Not binding. It's freeing. It's absolutely freeing. Being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him. That's the resurrection. That's the resurrection. 
He highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name. King of kings and Lord of lords. I'll finish with this, the practice of love. We've talked about the priority of love using 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We've talked about now the example of love, Christ himself. And I want to close with the practice of love, which focuses on the good of others. And the reason I'm doing that is because these two verses are couched in just that. It's couched in a broader context of the church, the local church, not the universal church. This letter was written to a local group of believers in Ephesus, and he's writing to them. And in chapter 4, how he has united them, and how they are supposed to walk differently now. And let me give you a grand picture here of what's going on. Remember in chapter 2 of Ephesians, verse 2, we talked about, Paul writes about the unbelieving world, and they walk according to the course of this world. So you have these bunch of people, millions and millions of people walking this course of the, the world's going on, and it leads to what? Anybody want to tell me? Destruction. That's what the Bible says. Now, God has taken us off that course that my sin has me on, placed me in Christ, and I'm going what? A different course, which leads to everlasting life, eternal life, right? But here's the thing. Just as there's thousands and thousands and thousands of people going this course, which leads to destruction, I have alongside me thousands and thousands and thousands of people going this course now. And so what Paul is saying is this, local church, you have other brothers and sisters going with you along this course, which leads to eternal life. Now I want you to admonish them, encourage them, love on them, take them with you, leave no man, leave no woman behind. That's the attitude, that's what he's getting at. That's the purpose of a local church, is for us to encourage each other in Christ. And so when you read verses 1 and 2, it's couched in that, in that broader context no wonder he says in verse 31, you know that bitterness and that wrath and that anger and that clamor and that slander, all that anger you might have towards someone in the body, get rid of it. Just get rid of it. Stop it. Stop it. It's not the way of Christ. Instead, replace it with verse 32. Instead, be kind to them. Well, they hurt me. Be Christ. Because of them, I'm suffering. Be Christ. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. You know what we're afraid of? If I don't deal with that person's sin, then nobody will. Right? That's, that's just what God is saying is, I'll take care of it, son. I'll take care of it, my daughter. Now, now there's times that we're, we're to go to each other or go to one another and point something out lovingly, encouraging, admonishing them with a humble attitude, with the attitude of, I'm going to be very sensitive, i got to be very careful because if, it, you know, if I'm in the same shoes, i probably do the same thing. That's doing it humbly. That's doing it lovingly. And yes, we're to do that. But if we don't, we just let bitterness, we, get, we allow bitterness to creep in. We get angry. And then relationships, what? We fight one another, they go south. But he says, be kind, be tenderhearted, be forgiving. Why? Because that's imitating the love of God, verses 1 and 2. In other words, Paul's saying, you're not supposed to be walking this road alone. You're not to be walking the Christian journey, the Christian course alone. You need help. You are not a lone island. You need, there are times you need the encouragement. There'll be times you need to be admonished. There are times we're going to need to be corrected. Me, you, all of us. Me, particularly. Yes, I throw myself in the mix for sure. Being a pastor or being a Christian leader doesn't exempt you from any of this. 
As a matter of fact, if you're leading the body of Christ, and you see yourself in the mix, in need of being in this mix more than anybody else. That's the big picture. Turn to be Colossians chapter 3. I call this the sister book. There's a lot of parallels with Ephesians and Colossians, but I'm wrapping up with this. This morning, I'm going to wrap up with this. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. As I read this, you're going you're gonna to see, you're going to hear familiar phrases. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, those who have trusted Christ, those who are in Christ, those who are chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I want to stop, 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 stop. Listen to this. You see judgment in there anywhere? No. But, but God is a just person. He's judged and judged, right? Of all the attributes of God, when it comes to the church, that was basically off the, off the picture. He, God says, you, I, as my children, I want you to leave that one up to me. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord, not you, church. All these other attributes, that's what I want you to emulate. That's what I want you to imitate. But not, that's what Jesus, did Jesus come and imitate justice? No. He didn't come to judge. He came to save. Now he's coming again. That's when he's going to exercise the justice. It's not going to be pretty. Okay? So those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another. Why? Because we're going that same course together. Okay? And as we're going along that course, there are times we're going to hurt each other. There's times we're going to say things we didn't mean to say. Right? Because we're still sinners. Though saved by grace, we still what? We're, we're a messy lot to deal with. That's why this is here. Bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, ah, what are we to do? Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you forgive them. Instead of complaining, forgiving. You know how I know when someone doesn't have a forgiving heart? They complain about something. And they bring it up over and over again. That means they've never really forgiven here. But now look at verse 14. Do you think I've been really off? Look at verse 14. Beyond all, beyond all these things, put on what? Love. There it is, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That's relationally. Be at peace with one another. Let it, when Christ's peace is ruling in our hearts, it is ruling our relationships that we have in the body of Christ to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Why? With all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Give you thanks through him to God the Father. Above all these things, put on you can't put on Christ if you're not putting on love. And if you want to put on love, then be in the Word and learn how much God loves you. And then the love of God will lose from you. So if somebody does you wrong, you'll be tender towards them. You'll show mercy, not judgment. You'll be tender and you'll respond humbly. You'll respond lovingly. Praise God. Let me sum it up by saying this, and I will close. What Paul's talking about is living the gospel of Jesus Christ. Being who God has already made you to be. Live it out. Be doers. At home, 
at work, in the church. May God bless us with his goodness for us. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your wonderful words of life. And as James says, Lord God, we want to be doers of the word, not merely hearers only, who delude or are really fooled. Because God, the whole goal here is to love. The goal of our instruction is love. The goal of biblical instruction, the goal of preaching, the goal of teaching your word is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere, unhypocritical faith in God. The overtop of the love that you're talking about here is that love which is found in Christ alone. It is his love, it's your love. And God, we pray that you bestow that upon us more and more and more so that we can have the greatest impact for you. The impact that you call us to have. It's not through our gifts. It's not through our intelligence. It's not how much we know or how much we give. But it's loving one another with the love of Christ. It's in his name we pray.